Welcome to episode 38 of They Think It's All Over, the Football Shirt Show, where you can get your usual weekly football kit fix. Welcome back, listener or listeners. This week, we are covering off the usual weekly news. We've got Kit History, Shirt Room 101, and a special international feature. But first up, we have a slight change in the usual format of guests. Say hello, guests, who's joining us this week. Hi, I'm Austin, and you'll find me at Austin MJ Lee on Twitter. And unfortunately, you've still got me, Mike, at Footy Shirts. And as usual, last man standing, it's Adrian here at Football Shirtalia. Austin, welcome back. How have you been? Very good, thank you. Good to be back, thank you. You kept us on tender hooks last time you were here. You told us you had a couple of new releases in the bag. We've seen them. They're absolutely fantastic. Do you want to just uh, remind the listeners what it was you picked up post-honeymoon? So yeah, the uh, 89 to 92 Norwich away shirt goes lovely with my home home shirt. And I actually have it in the right size this time, so I can actually wear it. I got uh, too excited when I bought the home shirt. It was actually kind of a bit tight on me. So, but look, it's 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 my holy grail. So I don't wear. I wouldn't want to wear it anyway. So I just have to mind it. So, but at least I can wear the way one anyway. So, which is good. Beautiful pair, beautiful pair. Mike, you had any decent pickups recently? Uh, I've had a couple of little bits turn up here and there. Nothing majorly special, but just to tie into that, this is episode thirty-eight, which is a special podcast for me because I also turned thirty-eight the weekend of this record. So we are, te- I don't know if it figures out, does that make me and the pod the same age right now? I don't know. But yeah, so I do know I do have a particularly special football shirt for my my birthday that has been purchased by my wife um, with a few pointers from me as to what I would like. But it's a big one that would class as a grail to most. So I am most looking forward to opening that one. And many happy returns, Mike. Thank you very much. Right, let's move on to this week's news. So most people will know that one of Mexico's biggest exports is Charlie. And Mike, you're going to tell us about some very special Charlie that comes in a box. I am. I am. It's it's very special. It is the Atlas special shirt that is commemorating a two-time league championship. And quite frankly, it is stunning. It's one shame Scott's not here. He'd be getting all hot under the collar right now because it comes in a rather lovely box. The actual shirt itself looks good. It's is it, it's a half and half like we see with a lot of at the shirts anyway but it's too hard to even describe how good the shirt looks we need to we'll get the images up on the socials for people to actually see this one we'll probably share it before this pod goes out to be honest because it's just it's too good not to but for me it's a particularly good one atlas is sort of like one of my favorite clubs from mexico it just it just looks great and i i could bang on about how good these charlie shirts are for a long time to be honest with you how about you, Austin? Did this one um, blow you away? Will you be getting in a line to pick it up? Uh, possibly, yeah, but it's it's a, I have to say it is a really nice shirt. The details in it, and then obviously with the that colour as well, it's very reminiscent of a, of a 90s kappa as well, which is uh, which is good. Plus the deboss feature on it as well is absolutely stunning. Like Those are incredible features. And where would people be able to pick that up, do we think? I'm sure Tom and Circa 88 are going to be inundated with orders for this one. Yeah, and if uh, if if Tom doesn't get that one, I know you'll you'll be able to pick it up from the the Charlie website if it's not a, a sort of limited release to club members only or anything like that. And it's difficult to order from the Charlie website, but there is a little trick to it that was talked to me by a guy called Phil, who's at pww8afcb on Twitter. Um, there's a little workaround with your postcode you can put in to get them to deliver to the UK. So maybe we'll share that on the socials just so anybody who is uh, going to chase that one down can can purchase straight from Charlie. Good luck to anybody trying to buy that. I've got a feeling they're going to be like gold dust. Right. What have we got next up in the news? Well, my favourite from this week has been the new Palmeiras release. Anybody seen that one by Puma? Yeah, it's very nice. Very nice. I must admit, even though it's Puma, very nice. Yeah, it's yeah. nice to see Puma do a pro- proper shirt for a change. Like, I mean, it's a, a lovely, clean <laughs> design. Nice, uh, strong uh, cuff and collar on it. Like, it's a uh, very clean, very nice. Yeah, big, big fan of this one myself. So like I say, I'd, I'd say it's probably been my favourite one I've seen shared about this week. Is as, as Austin says, real clean, real, real, just real smart design, real simple, bit of history to it. And I believe I'm right in saying that this one was almost strictly limited to sort of like club supporters and members only, which, all right, as the kit, as a kit collector, you might find a little bit painful, but 
you know, even the most hardened collector can can see that the the first people that should get these shirts are the fans. So I think that's a, that's a good move, and I'm sure a few of them will probably pop up on eBay as well. Kind of similar to the Coventry one, the special one they had, didn't they get like a members only? or season tickets get the, got their shirts first but then there's a few of them always popped up on eBay afterwards anyway so if you if you hang in there long enough then they're sure one will pop up uh, sooner or later so on that they used a club badge I think last seen in 1936 or something like that somebody will correct me if I'm wrong but it was just go over a long time ago what's your view on throwback badges do you like seeing them on commemorative shirts I, I do actually not even just necessarily commemorative commemorative shirts like for example we Aston Villa are not that far away from a, a big anniversary in 2024 off the top of my head like 150 years it if we're 1874 we were founded so you know that that could be a big one and, and I'd quite like to see an old badge brought back maybe for a whole season for that one I mean there's been a lot of talk of a rebrand for Villa with it with going back to a round badge which kind of harks back to the 80s and 90s for us anyway so you never know they might bring that in in line with the anniversary shirts but yeah no I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of a, a throwback badge to be honest with you I, I like to see a team move forward but at the same time for, for a, a special occasion I definitely think it looks good yeah definitely for a special occasion change it up maybe just for, keep it for the season or whatever and then go back I mean um, you even see the likes of Port Glory they always have a a slight variation or a tweak to the to the club badge every five years to, to mark an anniversary as well so it's, it, it makes it interesting but they go back to the, the normal badge in between seasons then yeah I think we all agree don't we it's a very nice touch so it wouldn't be kit news without us having something out of Italy what, what have people missed people have been sleeping on something haven't they I think they might have a little bit. Speaking to you before we record, Eddie, I think it's a particular favourite of yours, isn't it? It is. It, you know, people may or may not have noticed Catania, once of Serie A, fell on harder times and actually got expelled from the league 18 months ago. But they have returned to Serie D this season with Area as the manufacturer. We shared a couple of weeks ago the home shirt, which they released, which you know had a lovely trim around the cuffs in particular. And people seem to make a bit of noise of a new badge. And in the last couple of weeks, we only tweeted it a couple of days ago, but in the last couple of weeks, they released the away shirt as well. And I think it's a very nice set. I think both shirts stand alone beautifully, but there's um, a couple of very nice details on it. And in terms of the sponsors as well, I think they work terrifically on these shirts. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a really smart shirt. I'm, to be honest with you, I'm a, I'm, I've said it before and I'll probably keep on saying it again. I'm a big fan of area shirts, to be honest with you. I think that a lot of the stuff they put out is good. Even if it's not your cup of tea, it's so much bespoke, so many bespoke designs for, for clubs, give, giving every, every club an individual look that they they supply to. And yeah, this is no exception. The, the Like you've already said, I can't really say much more really. The, the shirt itself looks really, really smart. And the one thing that does stick out is the sponsor. It, it just ties into the shirt. Lovely, you know, keeping those those colours in there. Just one quick thing. Aren't, I'm sure we we tweeted from the, our socials about the, the club earlier in the season. Aren't they owned by or they have uh, financial backing from a, a, a former big player? Grella, the Australian ad. So I believe it's, yeah, it's some Australian businessman with links to Sicily that's taken over the club and he's, got Grella in as his right-hand man to to help run the club but they're quite a good follow they seem to have zero Twitter presence at all but they are quite active on Instagram that's the app that's got the camera thing on it for people that are like me and don't really follow the apps very well <laughs> but they so it kicks off a new season and honestly it looks like they're playing what is fourth level football so the equivalent of league two football it looks like they're playing at goals you know it's that type of facilities it's amazing <laughs> to watch these you know semi-professional now teams running around playing out there you know that used to have Papu Gomez lining up for them well unlike you I am familiar with Instagram so maybe I'll have to have a little look at that and, and see what's going on what do you think of this year Austin yeah no it's a, it's very nice to tidy I like I like the way the sponsor has worked with the with the shirt like bringing in the the two colors from the from the sleeves just to ties it in very nicely there and and as a home and away set the it, uh, they're, they're very nice, yeah. And your are um, lovely short. Austin likes his calcio. Going back to a few weeks ago, Tom did a great quiz, which was Eredivisie star or artist. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, right. yeah. So I'm going to do former Catania star or ballroom dance step. <laughs> lovely. Okay. I like Let's it. Let's go, yeah. Yeah. 
Mike, you're going up first. Okay. Former Catania star or ballroom dance step? Ricciuti. Definitely Catania star. He was. Adrian Ricciuti was a former midfielder at Catania. Austin. Lanza Fame. I'm going to go with the ballroom dance move. He wasn't. David <laughs> Lanzafame was uh, was a former Catania star. Next up, Andujar. I'm I'm going to go on the basis that you did as much research on this as Tom did with his Eredivisie star or artist when he didn't bother looking for any artist. And I'm going to say Catania star. Yeah, you're right. Mariano Andujar was a former goalkeeper at Catania. Austin, Rumba. Oh, that's definitely a, a, a dance move. Well done, well done. Also pronounced the rumba. Here we go, Mike. Cha-cha-cha. I'm definitely a Catania star again. The cha-cha-cha is a ballroom dance step. So Ball, Austin, bullshit. final one, and your chance to equalise at this groundbreaking new feature that's going to be returning every week, former Catania star or ballroom dance step, is a Bizianti dance step or a former Catania star yeah I'm not going to keep diving the same way so I'm going to say it's a former Catania star Marco Birgianti is a former Catania star you're right you're right did big things at Catania in his 107 appearances for the club well on is even and um, I'll give you both a seven Finally, it's International Week. We've seen loads of international shirts over the last couple of weeks, but we've seen some of them on the pitch for the first time. Was there anything that grabbed you, Rivi? Uh, one thing that we would have seen uh, by the time this podcast goes out is um, is the armbands that a couple of the teams are going to be wearing, England in particular, with the the One Love armband, which I think is a good gesture considering you know everything that's gone on in the build-up and some of the things we've heard about with where the World Cup is being hosted this year, but that's an entirely different podcast um but yeah no i I like the armbands they're going to be a good touch and i I think it'll be a good thing if they're worn in in qatar yeah it's i think it's a good idea like it's uh, i'm all for like inclusivity and anti-discrimination and and, um all the good things that come with that and there is it's a fight that needs to be we need to keep on fighting because there's so much of it in society and different things personally i think there's a little bit of um i don't know a bit of this max of a bit of hypocrisy with Wearing them in Qatar, I think. I don't know. It just uh, it's like um, gesture pandering. Like they're just, or like that we're just doing this to to show we're trying to do do the good things. You know, maybe they are, and maybe should we just give them the chance to do it and improve on the give them the chance to improve on the human rights and different campaigns. I know the FAs and stuff were saying there should be compensation and stuff, but at the same time they're not they're not pushing it too far either. Obviously not trying to upset anybody, but um, yeah, look, we'll have to give it a chance and, you know, be more inclusive with it and uh, get behind it, maybe. Yeah, it's a lot of nations have signed up for this. I think Holland, France, Wales, quite a few countries have signed up. It'll be interesting to see if they're even allowed to wear them at the World Cup, I guess, because there are quite strict regulations there. But I know that's the, the, the plan anyway. What about back to the pitch? We saw Denmark release their kits last week and then we saw one of the shirts in action. What's, what's your view on those shirts? Oh, uh, yeah. should be going in. Uh, you should be going in one on one. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm. I'm not a big fan myself. So for anybody that hasn't seen them, what they've basically done is got three plain T-shirts of different colours and made it told everybody they're inspired by the '92 kit when they won the Euros. But on a, on a serious note, what what we have is a red out, a white out, and a blackout shirt. The blackout shirt, apparently by the looks of it, is backing up as a an alternate goalkeeper shirt and there's also a green out version of the goalkeeper shirt if you want to call it that not a big fan myself the red out kit that they did for the 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 last tournament was good it was unique it threw back to a brilliant shirt and it worked this feels like they've simply just gone well that you know that worked people like that let's do it again three times and for me, it's a it's a little bit of a lack of, of creativity, and I don't know. It, it just it just feels a little bit too much. Like a, this is what we've done. Just just go and buy them all. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think it's a bit overkill again. Like three shirts all 
red out, black out, white out, all all out. Like it's just um, yeah, it's too much. But it's a bit lazy, I think. I don't know, just like just copy and paste, um, and we'll do it all three times. And uh, hope everybody will buy them all. Black out, white out, red out, and all out of ideas at the Hummel Design Room by the looks of it. Now, Austin, Scott was eulogising over the England shirts last week and how much he loves them. I thought we'd probably give you a platform to do the same as well. Um, yeah, I actually prefer <laughs> That was a long pause. The... <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, can I just plead the fifth on this one? <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely can. You absolutely can. You know, aside from that, yeah, we've also seen the the name sets um, drop today. Again, quite a lot of negativity around it, but I quite like them. I'm, I'm, I certainly don't dislike them. Um, I, I think that they're a bit different. They're not what we're used to. It does have that sort of like mix of lowercase and capitals within the the actual you know font for the for the names. But I I don't hate that either. I, I think they look quite good to be honest, and I think they actually improved the shirts a little bit again. Austin, surely a Declan Rice England shirt's going to be on the wish list. <laughs> yeah, just so I can put it in the bin. It's, it's, it's too sore. Don't don't mention Declan Rice or Jack really for that matter. I think the US version is a bit better with the colours and it's just toned it down a little bit. I think that works a little bit better. But actually, I know you were, you were talking about them on the last pod and um, the actual the Holland one is the one that kind of stood out for me. I know Mike hates it, but... Uh, I actually kind of, that's my favourite of the, of the World Cup shirts. The orange one, the home one. But uh, yeah, no, the, the, the home shirt uh, is just, it's just the one that jumped out to me the most. I know it's a, a lot of people think it's a bad Holland jersey, but uh, out of looking at them all together, it was the one that jumped out to me. Yeah, I think that's one that really, you know, it's probably one that now it's been seen on the pitch. It's, uh, it's one that people might do a U-turn on because it, it does look quite different when it's uh, out there. Right, that wraps up this week's kit news. Let's move on to a special international shirt room 101. Kid history, kid history, we haven't made it up. Kid history, kid history, we read it on Wikipedia. As you said earlier, we are going international for the kit history this week. So what I've done is a few reasons why national teams wear their colours aren't really big enough stories to do on their own. So I thought I would just kind of throw a few all together and then finish with a slightly bigger one just as a little little package. So we're going to start with Australia, who wear yellow and green, which is inspired by the golden wattle, which is their national floral emblem. We're going to go on to Japan, who wear blue. And they wear blue as it is the colour that represents fair play in Japan. And then we're going to go to the Netherlands, the country we've already touched on with their kits today. And they wear orange as an as a homage to their most famous regent, which is William I of Orange. And that's not very original, but there you go. Then we've got Greece, nice and simple. They've alternated over the years between blue and white simply because it's the colours of their national flag. And then we're going to finish with Italy, which is a little bit of a longer one. So Italy started wearing white and they were inspired to do that by the most dominant side in Italy who were pro Vercelli. So they wore white for a little while until they switched to the blue. The reason for that was because it was the colour of the House of Savoy, which is the ruling house of Italy until World War II. But they did and still do wear white as their away kits, which is still the same homage to Pro Vercelli. Wow. I don't know what's more exciting, that or the fact that Scott's just decided to join us. Hello, Scott. Hello. Yeah, sorry I'm late. (laughs) Scott Scott has joined us now because the talk of the international tournaments is finished, so it's less painful for him to come in about now. (laughs) Yeah, well, we're not at them anyway, so I figured it was poignant. (laughs) <laughs> what was your takeaway from kit history there scott the one for me that i that i honestly never even thought about but always associated was japan i've never ever thought why do they wear blue but you've all, i've always associated japan with a blue shirt but like you said it's not in the flag it's the, you know it's a weird one too but that's an int- now we know why they wear blue and they've always worn blue find it really interesting when when countries do wear colors that aren't you know the color of their their flags that's why a couple that i touched on japan netherlands um, 
um, even Italy, you know, wearing blue. I did look at a few others, to be honest with you, but I think they're really good ones that I'm going to save for, for other weeks. So in future, I think I'm going to touch on like Brazil, for example, which is a really good story behind, you know, where, where they got to their colours. But yeah, for these ones, I thought we could just wrap up a nice little package ready for the international break. Thank you very much, Mike. That wraps up this week's kit history. Now we're moving on to a feature. And after a couple of weeks where we got very, very excited about international shirt releases for the World Cup, we will all have noticed there's one team at the World Cup which hasn't got a new shirt. Who is it? Oh, Canada. Oh, Canada. Sound like you're going to break into a national anthem there. Yes, Canada have not got a new shirt for this year's 2022 World Cup. So to find out why and bring us up to speed, Canadian football, so we don't all talk about a Bayern Munich left back, I'm speaking to this week's guest, Joshua Cloak, writer for The Athletic and author of The Voyagers, the Canadian men's soccer team's quest for the World Cup. So this week, we are delighted to be joined by Joshua Cloak, author of The Voyagers, which charts the history of the Canadian men's football team. Joshua, how are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. So I guess the elephant in the room, I've said football, you football uh, or soccer? Yeah, I, soccer, because that's how I was raised. Uh, but, you know, I, I do have a feeling that over the next few months as I hang out with more and more you know immensely talented writers and, and soccer people i'll probably start calling it football you know i follow the canada and the canadian soccer association so i guess you know i'm i'm, I'm guilty of just calling it soccer all the time so the book's just been released it's got great fanfare great time for it to come out as well and we will move on to that towards the end of this feature but to start with canada you know big story fairy tale story for a lot of us in the uk and sure. looking, at, looking at what's happening at the World Cup, but it slipped into our consciousness the last few weeks because we've been reviewing an awful lot of shirts that have come out for the World Cup. There's been one notable omission. Well, notable, I think, is an understatement. Yeah, look, it's it's kind of been the elephant in the room surrounding, you know, this Canadian men's national team. You you called it fairy tale run, and and I think that's accurate. You know, some context. Canada has not been to a men's World Cup since 1986. Um, been a dominant force in the the women's World Cup for the past few few tournaments now, but not since 1986. And between 1986 to, oof, I would even say 2019, the men's team has been an afterthought in in Canada, and we haven't we haven't had globally recognized stars the way we do today in Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David and. Look, the team just didn't get any recognition, didn't get any love. It, it literally, and I cover this in the book, that the team literally had to pay broadcasters to put its games on television, which I know is astounding. And I think that as the team go through goes through this really incredible qualifying run, like it's important to remember, they had to start because of their, their FIFA ranking, which was so low, you know, 2017, they were ranked 120th in the world they had to start in the first round of, of qualifying, which you, they had to play teams like the Cayman Islands. And then they had to go into the second round, which is a, a home and home against Haiti in probably one of the worst parts of, of COVID. And then they go into the final round, which really kind of captured the attention of, of, you know, just Joe Q Canada. And throughout that whole process, they were wearing Nike team wear kits. And I, and I really feel great that I'm able to use words like team wear and templates on this show because I had to use Nike of... as well on this show. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Canada switched over to Nike in, in 2018. They were on Umbro before. And, and honestly, I thought they had some pretty decent kits with Umbro. Throughout 2021, they were wearing a, a team wear kit, you know, based off a, a very generic template that you could get at any sporting goods store for, you know, 40 bucks. And look, I'll, I'll kind of, tell you how the sausage is made the day after two days after they they did qualify which was late march 2022 i was at a training session before they were going off to to play panama on their final game of qualifying and i was having a conversation with someone that would know and i said so when can we expect to see you know canada's kit for the world cup and this person said oh we're, we're not getting one that dead air that you just heard is was kind of my reaction yeah wow 
And I was astounded because I knew, and I think anybody that's been following this team knows that they have a real opportunity here to capture the Canadian consciousness in a way that a men's soccer team never has before. I think Canadians are really going to find out. And, and look, Canada is a tremendous place to be for the World Cup because we are arguably the most multicultural and diverse country on the planet. And you have no, you will have no trouble in a big city in Canada finding a place to watch, a great place to watch the Senegal game, a great place to watch the Poland game, whatever it is. I love that about Canada. But I think this Canadian men's national team is really going into this World Cup with the understanding and, and the hope that they can make Canadians fans of the Canadian national team. But you're doing that without a shirt that really speaks to what this team is. This team is young. This team is fast. This team is dynamic. This team is insanely likable. And it kind of, if it just in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, they could go with a shirt kind of like the Nigeria shirt that is bold and brash, but speaks to what this team is. And the fact that they're not going to get a new shirt is a real missed opportunity because I think this is the kind of thing that, you know, as the World Cup gets closer, you know, it's a great way to get young kids into this team. And as a fan of this team, look, I got you the new shirt. And it's the same shirt you can find in bargain bins at, I guess, you know, here it would be a sport check, but with just the Canadian logo slapped onto it. So it's a real missed opportunity. And not just in terms of the kit for the team, but all that promo, all the launches mm -hmm. that you get around the kit as well, sort of eking into the consciousness, I guess, of the, the Canadian public. And like you said, though, the, the women's team, the Canadian national women's teams had huge success. Reigning Olympic champions, is that right? Yeah, 2021, the, the delayed Olympic tournament they won. And look, they for that, they had they were bronze medalists um, in 2012 and 2016. So they are the only team to have medaled in all three of those Olympic tournaments. They And, and they're, a, 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 they're a popular team here in Canada. Christine St. Clair is literally one of the greatest, you know, women's players of all time, sure. right? Um, and so... Again, it's 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 a real missed opportunity in part because, you know, the women's team is also with Nike and they are treated as a premier product and they have tremendous shirts, right? With the maple, you know, different um, styles of the maple leaf all over it. Yeah. Um, really, really great shirts. And, and Canada, the, the, you know, the men's national team did not have one. Am I right in thinking the official explanation is that it just the cycles of when they plan to release the kits, this hasn't fallen into a planned cycle and that's the reason that the kit's not coming out? That's the reason that I was given. So if you get a chance to read the story um, that I went pretty deep on in The Athletic, the official reason that I was given from Nike and Nike ended up, you know, releasing this later in a press release when they unveiled all their shirts was that Canada is on a different kit development cycle. Um Again, that's the official reason that I was given. My understanding is, you know, it takes about 18 months for Nike to, to plan, develop, put together mock-ups, market research, eight, basically 18 months to put together a kit and then release it. And that's not 18 months from the World Cup. That eight, that's 18 months from when they were released in September. So if you go back 18 months... The Canadian men's national team, I don't think many people believe they would go to a World Cup, right? Okay. Even when they entered the final round of qualifying, which is in September 2021, look, even I was skeptical. I, I genuinely thought, and I have this in writing, like they'll probably have to go, they'll probably finish fourth and they'll have to go the inter-confederation route. Should we and, just set the context around the qualifying for North America as well? So it, it all culminates in a in a big league, doesn't it, effectively? Yeah, essentially you you have the best in, now, you have the best eight teams playing, you know, home and away. Um, and that takes, you know, that essentially goes from September to March, right? So it's 14 games. So yeah, it's a long drawn out process. Top three directly qualifying that the the fourth place goes into an inter-confederation playoff. Um, they would have played New Zealand, Costa Rica played New Zealand. So at that point, 18 months ago, I don't think a lot of people, including Nike, really thought Canada had a chance at qualifying. My understanding from talking to people, you know, in and around Canada soccer is that 
the, these conversations just didn't happen. So I suppose we're, if we're looking to, to point the finger or, or square blame it, even though it's very easy to blame Canada soccer. And I know we're going to get into kind of the, the past few months and everything that's gone on there. And they're an organization that, that is not perfect and is really figuring out what it takes to be to, to be a world-class soccer organization. But I do think Nike has to own a lot of this because it, it really feels like a missed opportunity considering as well, Alfonso Davies is a Nike athlete. Sure. This, yeah. this is yeah, a yeah. real, real missed opportunity. So official explanation, they're on a different kit development cycle. Um, there's a lot of teams not going to the world cup that are getting new kits in September. Um, so it's, it's hard to square this one. But Canada ended up topping the group that had USA, Mexico, Costa Rica. Top of the group. Top, top of the incredible, group. incredible run, honestly. And a, a jet, like, I don't think you could have found anybody outside of the men's national team themselves who thought they were going to be top of the group. Just getting in at third would have been a massive victory. But inside the national team, I do think it's worth saying they believed, right? In, in talking to, to players, you know, over the past few months and just about the team's rise and about the kits as well. Again, if you read the story at The Athletic, the, the, the players are players are, are pissed that they're not getting one that for a lot of players this might be their only chance to go to a world cup and they're wearing team wear they understand what what that's all about now a chance to break Canada numbers on Akumi he's Hoyland to his left Junior Hoyland choose your adventure Eustachio Fair to say that there should be a bespoke kit tier one team for the next World Cup. You're hosting, aren't you? Co-hosting, yeah, with Mexico and the United States. I don't see Canada having anything short of a big, bold kit. I think there's a lot of people that understand that there's, how do I say this? There, there's some egg on the faces of, of different people. And I think they understand that, that come, because look, come 2026, this is going to be an even bigger story than it is now, right? The best players in the world will be in Canada. And this is a massive opportunity to market. And, and everything in Canadian soccer now is just being geared towards 2026. There's contracts of, of very important people within the, Can the Canadian Soccer Association that run to 2026. And yeah, I would assume by that point, I think Canada probably gets a new kit you know, obviously much sooner than then, right? The gold cup in 2023 is a big tournament. So there, there should be one then. Um, and look, I, it, it's worth saying as well, it was very difficult even through qualifying to procure kits, right? I, I, I know what it's like around the world. You walk into any shop. I, I, I'll tell you a story. I was in um, Costa Rica uh, for the, the team's third to last game where they could have qualified had they won. And I was down there covering the game. And I was there for two days before the game and you couldn't throw a rock without finding a Costa Rican shirt for sale. And I'm, I'm talking about going into the convenience store across the road from my hotel and you can buy them at the checkout. Yeah. And in Canada, it was so difficult. There were literally no shirts available for months and months and months. This team is beating Mexico at home. This team is beating the United States at home. And people say, I want in on this. So World Cup coming up, what are your hopes and aspirations? And do you want to cover up what the build-up's been like? I mean, it's been, from a European perspective, looking in, it's been a bit high-profile last few months with a couple of round of games cancelled and yeah, what was going on? Well, I mean, just I think the view from 30,000 feet is still one of, of optimism because this team can go into the World Cup without that pressure that an England, Germany, France, Brazil, Belgium will feel where, you know, the 
bare, bare minimum is getting out of the group. For Canada, look, you, you talk to people in, you talk to players, they are able, they know that they can go into this World Cup without any fear because it's their first one in a while because they're kind of back on the national stage and they've embodied that no fear kind of attitude throughout qualifying. So, I mean, Canada went to the World Cup in 1986, didn't score a goal, lost all three games. So a goal, a drop, even a win, that's all gravy. I do think there is enough game-breaking talent in tournament play. If you have game-breakers, you can surprise people. And I really think that, you know, I, I think it's fair to say Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, they're, they have the ability to take over a game and steal a game. If you do that against a Morocco, for example, it's, it's entirely possible that Canada gets a win. Can eke out a draw against Croatia if you can run kind of an aging Croatian team into the ground. Now we're talking about four points and maybe that's enough to go through. You know, it's it's also been kind of a strange few months because, again, throughout qualifying, this team was just oozing good vibes. This team couldn't make a wrong step. And then come June, which would have been the first international window after they did qualify, yeah, they were scheduled to play a friendly against Iran, which would have been a great competition. Um, but it's it's worth noting here that, you know, there there was a lot of questions about why this game was scheduled, considering, a, you know, a plane was shot down, I, I believe, by the Iranian National Guard and, you know, dozens of Canadians died. So I think there was a lot of questions about why this game was scheduled. That, you know, the CSA kind of, bows to public pressure and cancels that game but then you have to really work to to quickly find another team to play against you get a game against panama not really stiff competition but then in the lead up to this game we we start hearing rumblings that the the, the men's national team is upset to the point that they might not train and then in one of the match or in one of the days leading up to training they just did not show up for training there were a number of players on the men's national team that were upset about the contract that they had between them and the CSA that dictates things like, you know, how much their match fees, basically. Yeah. And this is something that I think a lot of people don't think about, you know, when, when players go to the national team, they are paid match fees for most mm -hmm. of the best players in the world. They donate that money to, to charities and the like, it's a little bit different if you're, earning $200,000 and playing in MLS and playing for the men's yeah. national team. And so ultimately, you know, some really hasty negotiations took place. But what, what happened was the men's national team players, literally the players, not lawyers, players were bargaining with the president and the general secretary of the Canadian Soccer Association. And was so, this seeking parity with the women's team or that was, was it, part was that of it. was used as a measure or that was part of it. The women's team, interestingly, distanced themselves from these negotiations because the women's team had been negotiating kind of in quiet through lawyers throughout all of this. Mm -hmm. The men's national team took a very, I don't know if brash is the right word, but they took an approach in which they were, I think there was a lot of emotion that was being acted on. Mm -hmm. And then without lawyers to kind of properly... out? Yeah. Um, it, it kind of got ugly quite quickly. Um, and so the men's national team really felt they needed to make a stand. And, and so they, they said, we're not playing against Panama. Now, it is important to note here that when you talk to former national team players, this is not a new thing. For years, the men's national team um, would go into important qualifying games without knowing what their match fees were. They would be put, you know, on really terrible flights um, to, to have to travel around the world. It took, look, for, for a long time, the Canadian Soccer Association was a volunteer-run organization that was not what you would think of the FA or the DFB. It completely different. They still have not formally kind of signed a deal. I don't expect it to kind of get in the way of the World Cup, but the good thing is that they have hired legal representation and they have unified. So there are lawyers kind of serving as a go-between. Uh, they did end up playing two CONCACAF Nations League qualifiers, but I think that's kind of, that certainly lingered over the, the national team or that, that last international window. I think now 
it's something that players genuinely aren't thinking about. They know that the World Cup is an opportunity to show themselves to the world. So, yeah, it was a dramatic few weeks for sure, but I, I don't know if it's going to be something that will kind of linger over. Tell us about some of these players. So Jonathan Davids, you have this world at Lille, you know, we're very, very much in our consciousness. Alfonso Davis, you know, been an absolute revelation for the last three or four years. Who are the other players that we should be keeping an eye out? Who could be stars of this team over the next three, four years? A few players that stick out to me. One is Stefan Astacchio, who's now playing at Porto. Um, he just had his first Champions League starts this season. Really, really strong, intelligent defensive midfielder that can both spray a pass really, really well, um, but break up the opposition play with a you know a, a lot of strength. His kind of confidence, overt confidence, I think defines this Canadian national team in a lot of ways. You know, I think about what he does on the field, but I also think about off the field. He was the one that handled the the match day minus one media the day before they qualified for the World Cup in a, a win against Jamaica. And he was asked about, you know, this team's mindset heading into a game that they had to win to qualify. And he literally just looked at the, the reporter asking, he said, we're going to win. That's it. Mm-hmm. And he walked away from his media availability. And, and, I, and I love that yeah. sheer kind of confidence. But Stefan Estacchio, you know, Porto is a good team and, and he's kind of risen up. Kamal Miller and Alistair Johnston and Ismail Kone are a few players that are, are playing their football in Montreal right now. And Montreal is having a tremendous season. Kamal Miller is a great ball playing center back um, who can bring a lot of physicality um, in that center back role. Canada usually play with a back three. He'll play on the left side and Alistair Johnston will play on the right side. Really kind of wiry, intelligent player that can get forward really, really well and combine with you know, Tejan Buchanan on the right side. And Ismail Kone is a 21-year-old who was very close to moving to Sheffield in the last transfer window. That transfer fell through. He's a player that I think even the, the championship wouldn't be his final stop. He's just a, such a creative player who's not a pure number 10, probably more of a number eight. As I mentioned, Tejan Buchanan, Undoubtedly the most electric player playing his football for Club Bruges right now. Boyd is as more of a, a right winger for Canada. I mean, Canada's strength is is their attack. Um and yeah, he's he just moved from MLS to to Club Bruges, but that won't be his final stop. He's arguably the best dribbler on the team, so electric. He can turn something into nothing. And uh, he could be the one that that scores Canada's first goal at the World Cup. So a lot of players are, you know, I think Canada is defined by their pace and their intelligence and, and their ability to get forward without fear. Um, and so I think those are the players that will probably stand out for Canada. Fantastic. And I, I know there's going to be an awful lot of neutrals out there that are going to take a very keen interest in Canada's progress at this World Cup. I think you've got a lot of fans all over the world. For sure. Yeah, I, I would think so too, because again, it, this is, like I said, that this team is is very much, I mean, we could have the oldest player at the World Cup in, in uh, Atiba Hutchinson, but, you know, this team is not, I don't think they're looking at this as their only kick at the can, right? Alfonso Davies, 21, Jonathan David, 22, Dejan Buchanan, 23, Ismail Kone, 21. Some of Canada's best players have not even hit their prime. And I think when you see... You know, I, I don't expect them to sit back and, and wait for Belgium to take it to them. I think you're going to see them be very dangerous in transition. And I think nothing sells in international soccer like a team that can punish in transition, right? Yeah, fearless team. So this is uh, what you're saying is this isn't the destination. They're still on the voyage um, to link to your book. Yeah. Um, they're still on the voyage and this team will, yeah, are going to develop over the next four years as well. I don't think there's anything to suggest that, that Canada is not 
going to be a team that that doesn't show up. But there's a lot of negatives there. But I, I think Canada will be at, at the World Cup regularly. And I say that for a few reasons. The kind of infrastructure in Canadian soccer is far better than it was before. All these MLS clubs, there's three MLS clubs in Canada. They all have academies. And the list of players on this World Cup squad that were developed in MLS academies is not a short one. In 2019, the Canadian Premier League, right before 2019, Canada was one of the small handful of countries that didn't have its own domestic league. And I think that was a real, real, real sticking point and a real problem because if you're a young Canadian player and you hit, you know, 18, 19 and you're a talented player, but you haven't caught on at an MLS academy and you don't have the kind of agent who has connections to clubs abroad, what are you going to do? You probably leave the game. And a big part of what I write about in the book is, is kind of throughout the 90s and the 2000s without a Canadian league, so many Canadian national team players were just unattached. They weren't playing club football. So the Canadian Premier League has started in 2019 and it's, it's survived the global pandemic, which is, is important. Um, it has a lot of great financial backing. It's expanding. And look, in 2019, when it starts, um, Joel Waterman, who was center back, was playing his, his football at a Canadian university. And he catches on, he's drafted by one of the, the team's cavalry in Calgary, and he gets a start there. And he then becomes the first player to be sold from a CPL team to an MLS team. He moves to Montreal, and he's now in this squad with the Canadian national team. And I think he has a decent chance of going to the World Cup. So in three years, you're going from a CPL team, which is a, a you know, I would equate it in terms of the quality of football, it's probably League One, mm -hmm. right? And then you're going to the World Cup in three years. He's a player that in the 90s would have just fallen through the cracks and wouldn't, wouldn't be in the national team at the moment because he just wouldn't have had that opportunity to progress potentially if he didn't have those, those contacts and those links. And now you can use Joel Waterman as a poster boy for the rest of the country and say, it works. The pipeline exists for a reason. And you can go from playing, which was, and, and look, these CPL players in, in that first year, they were getting salaries of $25,000 a year, right? Peanuts. Point is, is that there is a pipeline that didn't exist before. And for that reason, I think if more and more people keep buying into the pipeline and we keep young athletes in soccer, there's no reason to think that, that more and more talent won't emerge. So do you want to give us an overview of the book? Tell us about the book uh, and where we can get it. Yeah, well, thank you for, for giving me the runway to do that. Um, this is um, my second book. I, I, I wrote about a book about Toronto FC when they won MLS Cup in 2017. But the idea with the book is that for so long, this men's national team, as I said, was an afterthought. How did this happen? How did they get back to the World Cup? So I start the book in 1986, when they go to the first World Cup, uncovering some untold stories about the men's national team. And then I go essentially through the, the 36 years afterwards, where I don't just look at the things that happen. I look at the people making decisions behind the scenes and everything that, that had to happen to get the men's national team to the World Cup. I used Ralph Honingstein's Das Reboot as kind of a, a, a guidebook in terms of how to write this book. Um, it's filled with untold stories. It's filled with important decisions that happen behind the scenes. And, and it's filled with profiles of people that genuinely worked to get this men's national team back to where they are now. So, you know, my hope is that if you're interested in how this team kind of are doing what they're doing now, um, you'll give it a read. And, and I, I think it uncovers a lot of, you know, how, as I said before, policies of multiculturalism, official Canadian government policies of multiculturalism benefited this team, right? How did, how did new leagues help this team? How did, how did the rise of MLS help this team? How is, you know, who is John Herdman? Who is, I, I write extensively about Herdman and, and Alfonso Davies because you have to. If you're interested in knowing about Canadian soccer and you're interested in knowing about this team before they go to the world cup, you have something that, that will kind of get you prepared, I guess. 
and just for World Cup build-up, you know, for anybody who's out there and wants to build up to the World Cup, it's starting now. This sounds like a great, great place to start. Yeah, for sure. And the book is available anywhere you buy books. Um, I always tell people to go to your local bookstore downtown and, and get them to order it for you. But um, yeah, it's available everywhere. And and anyone that, that is interested, it that, you know, their, their support means a lot to me. We will use a convenient link for people to be able to buy the book on the on the podcast on the twitter feed like i say the, the option is there to go and order it from your local bookstore but we'll put something convenient in there for you joshua as well before you go i've got to ask this question because tom normally joins a lot of these interviews and he always asks yep. one one question to wrap up if you had to choose your favorite football shirt and your favorite player to wear that what combination would we be looking at that is a great question i mean it this is a great question. I would like to go with, you know, the easy one is the 1990 Germany World Cup shirt. And I say that because my grandparents, you know, came over uh, on a boat from Germany and, and immigrated here in, in the, you know, the early 1950s. And the first ever game, literally the first ever soccer game I ever watched was the 1990 final sitting on their um, ugly, shaggy green carpet um, and, and watching <laughs> You know, what I would later find out was one of the most boring finals of all time. Um, Glad but you that, said that. that shirt was anything but boring. Um, and I know he's probably not the most loved guy in certain North American soccer circles, but Jurgen Klinsmann was the guy that really got me about excited about soccer. Like 1994 was the first World Cup. Everybody has their first World Cup. Yeah, yeah. 1990, I was too young. 1994, obviously, with it being just down the road in the United States, I was all in. And watching Jurgen Klinsmann, watching him celebrate. I do have the 94 kit. I remember my parents got, I remember my dad got it for me. Um, and I remember he was aghast at how much soccer shirts cost. <laughs> Don't challenge it now then. Yeah, no. Well, whatever they're wearing, we're looking forward to seeing them. And we're I'm sure lots of us are looking forward to getting stuck into your book as well. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Joshua, really appreciate that. Thanks ever so much for joining us. Thank you. Right, so there we go, guys. Scott, what did you think about that? Great insight to a tournament that we won't be at and I'll just be watching purely for the kits and for when England lose. Yeah, I'm going to have to second that motion for Scott as well because we're not there and we just want to see England lose as well. So. Surely you guys are going to be looking for um, a team to support. Has Canada now got your back in? Yeah, I, I'll definitely keep an eye on them anyway. Yeah, there's, uh, it's nice to see a kind of a, an underdog story. You have a lot of kind of good players uh, kind of coming through, the Davies and uh, Jonathan David at, at Lille and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it'll be good to see how they get on on the, on the big stage. They have a big fan in my brother. He used to live there, so that's his second team. So he's, he's got a few Canadian kits and he'll be keeping an eye on them. I never knew your brother was, did air conditioning for Canada, but there we go, Scott. Right, let's move on to this week's Shirt Room 101. I give up. An absolute disgrace. I am flabbergasted. Analyzer for the coach come home. Shocking, I am. I am disgusted with it. Hi, I'm Andy, aka Jackson's Jerseys. And for room 101, I want to enter pre match shirts. The pre match shirt is nothing but a symbol of the commercialism that has taken over our beloved sport. Substandard template football shirts are accepted because the big boys release outrageous, colourful abominations that often have no links to the clubs, all at an extortionate price, and it's become accepted. Nobody grew up wanting to resemble a bus seat or recreate a player falling over during a pre-match shuttle run. Get rid of them and stop lining greedy pockets. Andy, 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 I love this. I'm going to sit back and observe. I'm, I'm happy to jump in first, right? and I'll tell you why. Because when Andy messaged me this and said, I've, I've got a one-on-one that I'd like to put forward, and he said it was pre-match jerseys, I thought, oh shit, that's, that's not going to go well. And I thought immediately, no, I'm probably not going to put that in. He sold it to me because he is right. Why the fuck does anybody want to look like a bus seat? That alone, for me, is enough to put it in. I hated that horrendous pre-match shirt and then from there, it got me thinking. And do you know what? I think to an extent he's right. I am bored of the whole 
this looks better than the actual shirt crap that we see because 90% of the time that's just not true in my opinion. And do you know what? I would be happy if at the beginning of the year we just had one pre-match set that was was given to the team, the nation, the club, whatever, that was just a old-fashioned pre-match T-shirt that they used to wear. So do you know what? I'm actually kind of sold on it. I'll, I'll put them in. Scott, I know you're going to have something to say here, not just from a Man United perspective, but from the MLS perspective, because they do like a pre-match shirt out there. Yeah, it's going to have to be a big disagree from me. I just, I think they have a lot more creative freedom. I've never been on the whole, they're better than the shirt bandwagon, because that is nonsense. But I just think they've got so much more creative freedom, and I think some of them look really good. I mean... Mike, you're right, the, bu- the bus seat one was terrible, but there's, you know, it's like the shirts as well. You get good shirts and bad shirts. You get good pre-match and bad pre-match. I, I, don't, I don't feel strongly enough to, to, to throw them in room of one. The only one thing I will agree about, I'm, I noticed he, um, he mentioned the commercial aspect. I do hate when it's December in the north of England and the club have brought out a new pre-match shirt, but it's so fucking cold that they have to wear the t-shirt over their jumper that is ridiculous because that is just oh look we wore our pre-match shirt but it was minus two and pissing and raining and they had to wear it over their jumper that does irritate me but not enough to get rid of them I mean personally I I quite like them because I buy them and take the tags off and I can wear them running Unlike my <laughs> so I you want to like take them. the tags off or something? Austin, where are you? That was a good job. I was sitting down there. I didn't realize he actually took tags off or something. I thought he was just a box collector. But I would the yeah the pre oh, pre match shirts. Um, yeah, I'm. Oh, I can't really make up my mind. There's there's obviously the pros and cons. Like like Scott said, there was the bit more creative uh, freedom to go a bit jazzy or go a bit different with him. But then on the other side of the thing. It is. It's just a. It's a pure money grab, isn't it? It's just release another short charge, more money. Yeah, there's no need for them, really. I don't. I don't think. Um, I mean, they already have training shirts. They wear. They could just wear that before the match. And like Scott said, if it's cold weather, they're going to be wearing jumpers and stuff anyway. Or if uh, somebody pulls their hamstring, all the teammates are out with the get well soon t-shirts over them anyway. So um, they'd have different things like that. So yeah, I would <laughs> tend to push them into um into room 101 because i just just for the pure money grab uh, aspect of it, it's just uh we're already forking out for home away thirds and four jerseys why do we need a, a pre-match on top of that as well so yeah i would agree with that end of it and that's why i'll put them in 101 hey that's all well and done but pitch this arsenal are flying high at the moment they're doing well but what happens when they start losing games how are they going to distract that fan base they're going to need to release a warm-up shirt every time they lose a game so if you throw them in room 101 they're not going to be able to do that they're going to be a lot of angry arsenal fans arsenal need pre-match jerseys even less than everybody else because every year they release some some massive heritage range which is just leisure wear that looks exactly like an old shirt they're, they're the only club remake so i'm not i'm not taking arsenal as, as a good argument to save these and in fact i would throw an argument back to scott just as a potential thing to two things a would you miss them if they were gone right that's my first argument and secondly are the fact that they have so much creative freedom with pre-match shirts actually making us more disappointed with the actual shirts that we see because if if they just wore their normal training shirts, all of a sudden our shirts that we're seeing would look more jazzy and so on. It, it, it's almost like you're having your main before your starter. It, it doesn't make sense. Just just do it the other way around. Have the boring thing first, and then you, you your your shirt is the centerpiece, the attraction. So that makes sense now. And this was Tom was saying this to me the other day. So this was Tom that said this, but he was saying it's a bit like you get men now and they watch a lot of pornography. Tom said he watches a lot. And he said, because of that, it's difficult for him to settle down with a girlfriend because he's used to all the porn stars that he watches. So maybe it's a bit like that with pre-match shirts and with match shirts. Two things. Sorry, Tom's Mrs. Listen to this. But even if she doesn't, his granddad does. <laughs> oh, man. You don't cancel a pod recording for a date night, gents, and get away with it. Is that what he's record- Is that what he's cancelled for? Yeah. He kept that quiet, didn't he? <laughs> Work stuff. He's getting ripped for that one. Um, to answer your question and detract from poor Tom's ribbon, 
yes, I would miss them because, like I said, I, I like to wear them and I take the tags off. And I'd see your point about the creative freedom. And if UEFA can stop being so restrictive, I would happily get rid of pre-match. But you can't, you can't blame the poor kits on the pre-match because it's UEFA's fault. Or I think we would see more creative shirts if it, if it wasn't so restrictive. So I think the designers get a chance to, to have a go. So I, I really like them. I mean, I'm not Andy from Forbidden Football shirts like them, but I do really like them. Seething when he listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's uh, pull the votes in then. So, Mike, you're back in that going into Room 101. Yeah, put it in. Scott, you're very anti. Out. Austin. Yeah, all, all, all hard into Room 101. Do you know what? On the basis I don't collect them, I wouldn't miss them. Yeah, I didn't go in Room 101. Right, so before we go, guys, I had a, I did have a, a point to bring to the pod before I was late today. Did anybody? So just, notice... just quickly, Scott, Scott, what, what, why were you late? Can you, can you tell us? <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh, okay, okay. sorry. As you <laughs> Someone were, else had a date night, did they? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Did anybody notice this one kit's tweet about Wrexham? It was quite an interesting uh, point. So obviously everybody's watched the Disney Plus have come out with the new documentary about the famous Hollywood owners of Wrexham and their away shirt has gone from 30 quid in the sale <laughs> to I think the highest we had £200. One of them is currently at bid in eBay all because of Disney Plus. <laughs> It's mad. Has anybody, anybody watched that? Because I've only watched the first episode, by the way. And what yeah, I've taken I've, from I've it, so, it yeah. what I've taken from it so far, is that it was definitely aimed at an American audience. And I cannot believe how horrified they were at the thought of clubs getting promoted and relegated from the top division. Like it was like some nightmarish dream that their club could not be in in the the, the top division for their sport. It was mad. I think it's been a really interesting watch and I think it's I mean for Wrexham it must be brilliant because even though they're clueless they're enthusiastic and it's interesting watching them bundle through like you said about relegation and promotion and buying players and the most interesting bit about it is they're being very transparent about everything that's going on and it literally is their money you know they are private owners of a football club so when they you know they talk about bringing in um what's the boy's name mullen what was it i've forgotten his first name Paul mullen is it paul so mullen from, yeah. from yeah was it cambridge signed him from wasn't it yeah so we came down two divisions i think or at least yeah, one division that, and, that that's that's not unusual because i i to be honest with you i'm a bit pissed off with it all because Cheltenham town got promoted and Wrexham to, to League One, and Wrexham came in and took Ben Toza, our captain and long throw specialist, away, offered him a shitload more money and took him down to the, the, the National League. So as far as I'm concerned, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney can eat shit. Well, <laughs> but it's like Salford, isn't it? But yeah, it just goes to show, doesn't it, that commercial aspect of how it can massively inflate, you know, well, it depends if you're, if you're a flipper, it's a dream, isn't it? Because like you you've bought your £30 shirt and all of a sudden somebody's willing to pay £200 for it because of a Disney Plus documentary. But it's just interesting how something like... Because you can think... Because, I mean, that has to be the definition of a market, doesn't it? Because you pay £200 for it now because it's on Disney Plus. But in a few years, if it all goes tits up and wrecks them, don't get out out the National League or League One, it'll be back to a £30 shirt and that's you. Burnt 170 quid. It's, it's crazy, but I, I can see why they do it, because I'll be honest with you, like as a shirt collector, I'm terrible. I did. I watched the first episode, and the first thing I did was went on eBay and started looking at Wrexham shirts, just because yeah. I, I had an interest in what it was. And so so before Ad This One Kit put that, that tweet out, I had already seen that they were kind of creeping up a little bit, but I hadn't quite mm-hmm. seen how far they got. I mean, I'm not going to lie. As soon as I saw they were over like 12 quid, I'm like, okay, I don't want a Wrexham shirt anymore. So it didn't really matter to me, <laughs> but... It, it is insane what, what can happen. But, I mean, interestingly enough, they, they've also brought in shirt design into the, the same discussion because I think it's the second episode, maybe, 
they talk about bringing out the shirt and Wrexham traditionally have never had that in that green color on their away shirt but the boys are from Philadelphia so that's actually Philadelphia Eagle Green and that's why their away shirt is that color because of the owners so oh, God, God sorry mate that fucking spoilers mate I've only seen episode yeah. one Ryan, Ryan Reynolds on. isn't, isn't Ryan Reynolds <laughs> isn't from Philadelphia but, but his friend um, the guy that works in American TV is Rob McElhinney that's how you oh, say it Rob McElhinney yeah <laughs> that's how you say it yeah a little bit of a shirt value boom there thanks to Disney Plus well it's well worth a watch for everybody but yeah good advice from this one kit don't rush out and, and spend it and like Scott said if it doesn't go up all those shirts will go down in value and there'll be a dead pool of Wrexham shirts ba-boom alright that wraps up episode 38 of the football shirt show it's time to say our goodbyes everybody bye bye everybody ciao bye we'd just like to say thank you to everybody for listening and uh, your feedback is really appreciated we've noticed quite a few uh, reviews popping up on the various platforms with everybody um, rating us quite highly which is excellent and also the bio will be changing in the next few days because we have topped in the top 100 of our fourth continent now so Australia which is from Australasia is uh, we're now position uh, 69 69 in the football charts it's not the highest position but it's the best position lads <laughs> you know it <laughs> but seriously all your feedback is really really appreciated we do put a little bit of time into recording this each week and putting the content out there so anything you can do to show your appreciation your love share it spread the word we really really do appreciate it until next week when Tom's back